Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back. Final hour, Outkick 360 on the Outkick network. We are live downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody broadcast studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Jonathan Hutton is out. We got a cast of thousands in here today. Look, Chad, Corey that- Taylor, Jacob Swanson, Adam Brown, of course, the chairman David Reed, Dylan Taylor. All look in how here the today. sunlight makes me look like Doctor Evil. Yeah, that sun comes through this time time of the afternoon. And I mean, I used to have to like shave my head to, like to an extreme and and wear a special outfit and everything when I went to Wycheck Frank Wycheck, the former. Uh, uh, radio host and before that pro, pro tight Bowl end. Titan tight end and he had a huge uh, Halloween party it was a big deal and Teresa and I went as Dr. Evil and Frau Farbissina it's a huge hit now I could just put on a gray shirt and head out of the house Paul, I'd, I'd be good to go I thought about you because you, you've, you've talked about that outfit before and when I saw the Dr. Evil spot for the Super Bowl I you thought like, about there, you there Did you? were you a fan? Uh, there's just look I love Dr. Evil but how much can you throw back to the same stuff? Let's create some new stuff. I'll go into my Seinfeld here. Let's create some new stuff. But I feel All like of you, this old stuff is so much throwback. You create the new stuff, though, and you don't like that. Like, well, this is well, stupid. Well, create some new stuff that I like. But you like the old stuff. Not I like the old stuff, but not in the new commercials. Paul wants wants new nostalgia. No, I want new stuff that's good. No, he wants new stuff that we can look back back at and like. But you understand, like, you're getting older now. We all are. You like old stuff. So they're giving you the old stuff. You like Dr. Evil. You like Seinfeld. These are old things. You like Larry David, who is Seinfeld, the but show. But he's got a current show. And he does, he does that uh, commercial, Larry and it's David's funny to current. you. He's got a current show on HBO. Also, Paul, it's, a new, it's not just the sun. You also look like Dr. Evil at night as well. So <laughs> I'll just like, let you in on that. This is a particular – I look like powder right now. You want some more throwback? <laughs> please, please, don't, don't make powder. powder mad. Yeah, somebody – put that one shot on me so somebody could get a good picture of that, and then they could do a side-by-side with powder. I I'm, think that's coming. I just it's it's funny because like I want new stuff. No, you don't because the new stuff is geared towards new people, <laughs> and new people don't necessarily always like the same things older people like. They're still they're a, giving you what you a like. Date night movie for middle aged people has to be in the in existence, coming into existence, starring, and it's not a remake or Bette a Midler. sequel. <laughs> not Bette Midler. <laughs> Oh, uh, 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 what is what was the film in uh, Seinfeld? Been uh, a lot of romance Rochelle, from Rochelle? Milan to Minsk. Rochelle, Rochelle, <laughs> yeah. one woman's erotic journey from Milan, Milan to Minsk. To Minsk. Yes, yeah. uh, I don't think they're going to be making any movies about the L.A. Rams victory parade, but maybe they will. 
Unfortunate moment for Matthew Stafford. This is rough. During this victory parade. It's rough for Kelly Smiley, the photographer who fractured her spine, falling off the stage during the Rams' victory celebration. Really rough look for Matthew Stafford. First off, it was a rough afternoon for Matthew Stafford in that, a fun afternoon, but he was clearly intoxicated like the rest of the Rams, including Sean McVay, which is understandable during a Super Bowl victory parade. But uh, on camera, and Barstool Sports was the first to publish this, and the story's up at OutKick right now about it. You can see it. But Matthew Stafford sees the woman, goes, young Whoa. woman, fall off the stage, just far off the stage, falls away and kind of gives this look of, oh my, Gosh. and turns around with his magnum of champagne, is what it appears to be, and takes a drink and keeps on walking while Kelly Stafford, she his really wife, the family. her eyes get big and starts walking to see if the woman is okay. It's a rough look for Matthew Stafford. I'll also say he's drunk. Uh, he's, I, I don't, I'm not going to take any big, broad, you know, oh my gosh, Matthew Stafford's a horrible human being that doesn't care that a woman just got injured and fell down. I, I don't think, I think he was probably looking at it from the standpoint of, A, I'm drunk. And two, <laughs> I'll say it as I'm drunk. Yeah. And two, I don't want this to be in the way of what's going on right now. This is not my place as I'm about to speak on stage to go tend to the woman who just fell. But it was a much more human response from his wife, Kelly, when she fell. Paul. Is it not established that he's a pretty good human being? Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of good things about that. Matthew he's Steph. a pretty good human being. I, I don't know that he was. Uh, I mean, they acted pretty quickly. His wife reacted in the moment they reacted pretty quickly to say they, they were going to take care of her bills, buy her a new camera. I think they checked in on her. So the overall reaction was correct. Even though his reaction in the, in the immediate moment was, was bad. And so they got him off the, off the hook for that immediate reaction. And I don't think he got clobbered for it. Um, if they had not done something, he would have totally got clobbered for it, and he would have probably deserved it, drunk or not. Well, that, that's the good news is, after the fact, I'm sure Matthew Stafford saw this video and, and knew what happened. But well, his wife Matthew might have Kelly, come right then and said, yeah, dude, you walked away from that. Well, that was really bad. Matthew and Kelly Stafford announced they're covering all medical expenses uh, for Kelly Smiley, uh, the woman who was injured falling off the stage. So not a good ending that with the injury and the fractured spine, but good that her expenses are going to be covered. Now there this is also, a railing they put a reason they put railings around things like that. Yeah, oftentimes. it was I mean, look, those photographers, you've seen it. They get right in the muck. They they go right into the bad situation. They'll they'll figure out a way to get the shot they want. And that was uh certainly happening. And they were in posing moment. for them. Uh, the Staffords were posing for them, right? For her. Yeah. And here's the other thing, and I actually saw former Titan Will Compton tweet this. The a, a sad conclusion to this is that People are, journalists, journalists, in quotations, are going into Kelly Smiley's old tweets from years ago and found a, a racist tweet and is publishing it. I'm not excusing the racism in the tweet and how dumb it was, but for a photographer who just fractured her spine, isn't it a little odd that the initial reaction is, let's go dig through this woman's history on social media? And do some background on her, on the victim, and then publish it? It wasn't like, you know, uh, Kelly Smiley, the woman who fell and injured herself, was out there looking for a microphone to say, you know, let, me, uh, let me give you my thoughts on the Asian population in California. 
which was some of the things in the tweets. Yeah, or if Kelly Smiley pushed someone off the stage, then you look into her background. But even if she was, I mean, thrown from the stage and there was a GoFundMe for her and, and someone was paying for it, I just don't. Just why? Why is that the reaction? I don't know. Is it a click thing? Is it a, I, I don't, I, we, I remember this, was it uh, the Villanova player? You know, this is the thing, the kid had a big game in the NCAA tournament, Final Four, something like that, and immediately, you know, tweets started surfacing during the game. So someone was on Twitter watch or on social media watch. All right, let's go back and see what this new star has done in his past. They were posting things when he was 12, 13 years old that he posted. Paul, it's a good message for those of us with kids. Yeah, don't tweet stupid stuff. That if you tweet something stupid, even if it's it's an inside joke, that it's always going to be there, but I do not understand uh, that mentality. Scares me to death about social media, and not just social media, uh, spoken word. I mean, look, we've all had this conversation about stupid things we did when we were kids, stupid, stupid things we said. I've had this conversation with Simon, who's 12, about, like, listen, you say one thing one time, goofing around with your friends in a way that I could when I was 12. You can't. I mean, you maybe can, but you maybe can't. And it can come back to bite you in a way that costs you college. It could come back in a way that costs you friendships. It could come back in a way that gets you kicked out of school. You have to be on top behavior all the time. And it's an unfair standard for kids. I'm not saying he should be allowed to say dumb stuff, but we've all had things in life where you did things, got disciplined for those things, learned lessons from those things. And, um, you know, I'm not apologizing for her tweet and I don't know at what age she said this thing, but that element of society has disappeared. To well, a large I agree. And it's scary. We it's need scary. uh yeah, it's, it's, it, and you're right. That, that is the message for kids out there. Watch what you tweet. All of that. It holds true, but also stop going after people trying to ruin them when something like this happens, especially it's just, it's foolish. I don't understand going back and finding something someone posted years ago or whenever it was and trying to ruin them. Once Anyways, they see it, it's, it's once odd, they see it, they're it's an odd use complex. It. But why are you going to look for it? I don't know. It's an odd complex. Here's what else is odd, Paul. There's so much talk about quarterbacks this offseason. I'm looking at a list of some of the top offensive free agents across the NFL. Top quarterback that's a free agent this offseason, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. No one is talking about Jameis Winston's landing spot. We're talking more about Kirk Cousins possibly well, getting traded than where Jameis Winston is going. I, I think the presumption is he's going to resign uh, in New Orleans because they don't have an answer either. Now, they could go bigger, obviously, which could, could leave him there. But his top offensive coach, Pete Carmichael, has, has returned to the Saints, who is the offensive coordinator there, who might be the play caller for, for the first time because Sean Payton always was. But I, I think there's a widespread spread presumption that unless the Saints, you know, do something, they're, they're going to want him back. Um, and that he wanted to stay. Now, that's all Sean Payton reliant, though. But I'm not a, I'm not a Jameis Winston guy. I, I, I'm not looking for Jameis Winston to, to solve my problems at quarterback. I think he I, – I think the gravitational pull on Jameis Winston is – always going to be back to bad decisions and interceptions always. And, and if I've got a quarterback guru, I want to give him something either more raw to work with, to develop from, from scratch or, 
or uh, I'd do bigger and better than Jameis Winston. I don't know how you feel about him. I yeah, I'm, I'm not a big – I think Jameis Winston is one of those stopgap type guys. Yeah. He's not your answer for a franchise quarterback. Well, he's but a second-tier He's a guy term. who can get you to, you know, eight and nine, nine and eight uh, on the right team, even if you were bad the year before. That, that's who Jameis Winston is right now. But it does it, come with no cost in terms of you don't have to, you don't have to trade for him. You just got to pay him. Yeah, and he's – it's just – I bring him up because all the scenarios we're bringing up in regards to quarterback across the league, a lot of them involve trades for big-name guys. But the guy who's attainable for anyone in the league, that's going to be an answer for somebody. Maybe New Orleans, like you said, is getting no talk Is Bridgewater right now. a free agent? Not that I like Bridgewater either. I don't know. But I think, uh, I think he might be. Well, the top all- offensive free agent is Devontae Adams. Yeah. We talked about him uh, with Armando Salguero yesterday. Armando believes Armando. there's no he's way he's going tagged. anywhere. He's going to get franchise tagged or he's going to sign a contract with Green Bay. Do you feel the same way, Paul? Yes. Yeah. Listen, I think any of the top, top free agents franchise tag immediately in play. Immediately in play. Here in Nashville, Harold Landry, a franchise tag immediately at play. Yeah, I think, and you look at some of the other receivers, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson. Now, Chris Godwin's interesting because he's got the torn ACL. So that's advantage Bucks. Because the Bucks know him, trust him, like him. Uh, you know, I don't know how they finagle their cap situation, but a team that might be primed to go get him, two reasons. You, you need to see him recover, and you don't have access to him for camp and for opening day. So his value goes down. So he might take a franchise tag or take a one-year prove-it deal because of the misfortune of his injury, which was late. Paul, how long did you live in Oakland covering the Raiders? I lived in Berkeley for about six months. How familiar are you with Howard Terminal in Oakland? Not very. I'm more familiar with Howard Terminal, if it's what I think it is, from my times back in Oakland as a, as a person covering the Titans. Well, it's, it's not a mystery. Maybe the worst ballpark in all of Major League Baseball is in Oakland, where the A's play. And it's long been that way. This is, this is not a new development. It's been a dump for two decades. And it was the last shared football-baseball stadium. It's terrible. And you watch a game there, and it's, it, you're not looking at a ballpark. You're looking at a football stadium. It's a very weird Look, it setup. It was terrible those six months I lived in Oakland when I used to go to games there, and I covered a couple of games. It was terrible. And it's in East Oakland. As a baseball park. Is where the, the stadium is now. Uh, they recently got approval from their city council for a, a baseball-only A's ballpark in the Howard Terminal site in West Oakland, closer to the water, apparently. Um, it's not as, you know, uh, we're living here in Nashville, obviously not as big as the Nashville discussion, but that's a team that many are looking at saying they could move. If they don't get something done, they're going to move. And it's a team with a lot of history there in Oakland that you want to stay in Oakland if possible. So this could be a big development. Obviously, they'll be staying. And it looks like for the first time in maybe ever, Everyone in the city of Oakland or most of the people that matter are in agreement that something's got to get done for the park. Well, they lost the Warriors uh, who went across the bay. That's not a small move. Uh, I mean, if you were a Warriors fan in Oakland and you wanted to keep going to see them, we were talking about L.A. traffic, getting across the Bay Bridge into San Francisco to go see the Warriors. It's now San Francisco's team. Is a major change of venue to a a, a gorgeous venue, I'm sure. It's not a change of uh, ownership or the name, but it does feel like a team relocated. Yeah. Right? They're, they're in a different city now. Um, so, 
But look, I think it'd be good for the A's to stay there. And I think the carrot there, I mean, the perception is A's were, were destined for Vegas if they were going to move. I think the perception is the Rays are destined for Nashville if they're going to move. They're going to try this split. I think it's been put on the back burner. We haven't heard anything about it because of the lockout. They're going to try this split between Tampa and Montreal, which is a disaster thing for a player. I mean, you're already in a bad situation in Tampa Bay, and you're only home for half the season. And now you're half season at home. Your wife and kids are supposed to split it, not just between two cities, but between two cities that are far away in two countries. Yeah, that's it's it's not a great situation. Please, can I sign a free agent contract with you? So that I could be in three different places, and uh, and my wife has to deal with uh, changing currency and all of that. Some that is a good situation. We've got Austin Price and Brent Hobbs from Ballclub.com coming up next. We may get into Save by the Bell trivia like we have in the past. We're definitely going to talk Tennessee basketball, Tennessee football. Austin is apparently at the Tennessee baseball game on the outfield porch Ooh. somewhere. He says it's windy where he is. He doesn't know how it's going to come across. It's going to come across like this. We may have to, for the first time ever, we may have to cut Austin Price from the segment if it's too bad. We're going to find out if we have to cut Austin Price when we come back. It's OutKick 360 on the OutKick Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We are back on OutKick 360 across the OutKick network, downtown Nashville in our 6th and Peabody broadcast studios. We are coming to you live this afternoon. One of our favorite times of the week. No, it's not if you're watching when the sun comes through the glass and gives us this awkward look on our face. It's when we're joined by Brent Hubs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com to talk a little Vols. And it's especially nice when we get Austin Price live at a baseball game in February. Austin Price is the biggest fan of February baseball of anyone we've ever had on this show. Austin, how are you doing out there in the outfield bleachers right now? It's windy. It's cold. Uh, Tennessee currently leads two to nothing over Georgia Southern, and uh, it's a uh, it's a fun atmosphere. I'll go to this. The, the students are here. They pack their section, and they're loud. They're really loud on every play. I, I've got to break you some news, buddy. Um, your the bend in your bill and your age they don't match up. <laughs> He's saying you need more bend in your bill. You're actually very yeah. hip right now, Austin, and Paul's uh, does not like that. There you go. Doesn't matter for you. Looks good. You sound you sound great though, Austin. You really do. Uh, Brent, how much more comfortable do you think you are right now in in your home uh, with with the heat on as opposed to Austin? Well, given the fact that I hate cold weather, I promise you I'm a lot more comfortable. Austin's kind of got that Jim Cantori look. I, I'm just waiting for a gust of wind. <laughs> to blow through and he can act like he's in the middle of a hurricane <laughs> somewhere or like that. But, uh, I'm a lot more, I'm, I probably have more clothes on than Austin does standing outside in 38 degree weather, but I promise you I'm warmer as well. Well, uh, both of you look great. So appreciate you joining us today. Uh, just in very different conditions at this point. I want to, let me start with a broad basketball okay. question. If I may, what, when Vols hoop was struggling, not that, not that very long ago, 
Do you think that this is what Rick Barnes ultimately envisioned? That he envisioned something good, but he didn't know what? Or that he had no idea what to expect? Well, I think, Paul, that, that he believed this team could shoot the basketball, that they were a better shooting team than what they were showing at the time. And uh, he knew their defense would travel. He, he knew that their defense would hold up and felt like they were a good defensive basketball team. Uh, they're playing real well right now. You want to play your best basketball at the end of the year, and, and that's what they're doing. But I think he always believed they were better offensively than anything they were showing in, in early to mid-January when they were having such a hard time putting the ball in the basket. You know, and Austin, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, just offensively, really, since that stretch in Austin, Texas, where they made a furious rally late, they've been a different basketball team in, in how they've moved the ball. Uh, we had Dane Bradshaw on the show earlier today and, and asked him about this. And he said, you know, if you could talk about revenge all you want and beating a team and getting punked and coming back and punking them. And he said, but Tennessee's not doing that to Kentucky a week after they lost in Lexington or two weeks after that. It took this month in between to figure things out where Tennessee was capable of doing that to Kentucky. What do you make of this offensive change with this team? Well, I think I mean, everybody talks about Josiah Jordan's games, and I think that's the perfect uh, perfect way to look at it. When he changed how he plays, and he's again, he's still shooting three point shots. You know, it's not like he's strictly shooting twos, but he is not camped out around the three point line. He's moving without the basketball better. He is uh, driving. He's creating, and, and he's a nice facilitator at his six seven six eight height when he when he drives and penetrates. He can kick it out to shooters like Ziegler, like. Vescovy, uh, you know, this is a basketball team that's playing much more confidently. And really, for that 10-minute mark in the second half on, uh, this has been a different uh, Tennessee basketball team, which really played its best basketball. Even when they had these down stretches, Brent, they're still scoring in the 70s. When Tennessee had a down stretch in Austin, Texas, for a long stretch, um, they scored 50. You know, it's just a different feel. They can have a period of bad and still put up points. Yeah, they're playing better. They're moving the basketball better. They're playing faster on offense. And I think what's what's happened with that is it's created confidence. And I think that confidence means the ball goes in the basket better. They're getting better looks. They're getting more open looks because they're moving the ball better. They're, they're putting a lot more pressure on defenses than what they were before that uh, last 10 minutes in Austin, Texas. Brent, when you look at Rick Barnes' tenure in Knoxville, and it's been very successful, but I feel like it's, it's much less about the five-star talent that he's brought in, and he's done some of that, especially recently. And really, his tenure is marked by two guys, if you want to personify it, Grant Williams and now maybe Zakai Ziegler. The ability to find someone that not everyone else is looking at and really no one's looking at and turn it into something and credit those guys, obviously, for a lot of that also. And I know we're early in Ziegler's career, but this guy looks like a superstar in the making, and it's remarkable that he didn't really have any offers other than Tennessee when Rick Barnes came calling. Well, it's because he lacked height, you know, and, and that lack of height puts him in a situation where a lot of people are weary of him. The one thing, the one common trait trait between Grant Williams and Zakai Ziegler it's the mental makeup of the two. Both of them are supremely confident in their skill. Both of them believe they were a lot better Austin than, than what the pundits out there believe. And, and they were looking for an opportunity. And, and I think those are the types of players that 
uh, Rick Barnes really likes. He kind of gravitates to those guys. That's not a knock on the one and done because he's had successful uh, runs with those guys. But I think that, you know, when you talk about the core of a program, it's that type of mental makeup that Grant Williams and Ziegler have that, that really uh, solidifies what Rick Barnes is about, what he wants his program to be about. So, Brett, yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. I, I, Chad, I, I just think when you look at, you know, what Tennessee has done as a, a basketball program, Rick has been able to look and see, okay, hey, this kid may lack a height or lack speed or, or, or lack, you know, lateral quickness, but they can do all the other things well. And, and that's what I think he's been able to envision and see and project that has done, you know, him so well is all these coaches, football, basketball, they all get hung up on 40 times, vertical jumps, inches, ankle stiffness, bone density, all these things that, that these college coaches talk about. And sometimes just kids are playmakers, and, and, and Ziegler is that. Austin, I'm going to ask you one more, and then I think we're going to uh, say goodbye to you. It's getting a little loud there at the ballpark. But I do want to ask you this before we let you go, and then we'll, we'll ask a few more for Brent. Um, recruiting the quarterback position for Josh Heupel and Nico Iamalavea, and I hope I pronounced that somewhere close to correct. Where does Tennessee stand with him? Not, not right at all, as, as Austin shakes his head, no. Uh, pronounce his name. First, let's start with that. Pronounce his name correctly, and tell me where Tennessee stands with a five-star quarterback. Eow Maliaba. Of course. Eow. Oh, the traditional pronunciation. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, Eow Maliaba. And, uh, and Tennessee just hit another home run. Um, you know, but uh, Tennessee is is in good shape. He's going to come in uh, the 4th through the 7th of March. And so he's going to spend several days here with his entire family, which is a lot. There's seven of them. He's got a lot of young, younger brothers and sisters. He's the oldest. Um, you know, his mom and dad. His mom did not come on the first trip, guys. And this one will be a big one for her. But Tennessee is going all in on him. And then we'll see after that. If they don't land Deco, you know, we'll see if they double back to Christian Zena or if they, you know, go with another kid out of Northern California, Pittsburgh, California. Um, Rashada is his name. Um, you know, I, I, Tennessee, I think, is going to go, you know, heavily in with the high school ranks. But if they don't land them, it's okay. You can go get a quality transfer. Somebody's going to transfer out of Georgia. They got like 15 quarterbacks, <laughs> and they're all talented. All right, Austin, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the Thank game you. the rest of the way. We're going to put our guys a test here, see if we can hang up with Austin and, and keep Brent on at this point. So we're going to drop. Look at that. Oh, nope. Austin's wrong still one. there. Drop the wrong one. Did we drop the wrong one? There's Brent. All right, now we go. Paul, go ahead. So what happened to the uh, idea of the spring game during uh, construction in Knoxville um, to be played in Nashville? How come that fell apart? Uh, I just think from a, a date standpoint, um, Nashville's got a lot of things going on. Uh, they, you know, they've got the hockey game later this month. They've got concerts coming up. They've got a small window of things that they need to get done at their stadium. Um, I, I think trying to figure out some of the who's responsible for what, you know, with concessions and security and uh, game management and all those things. I just think that uh, it was just something that the, the two sides couldn't work out at a date and couldn't work out all the parameters from. So uh, it's not going to happen in Nashville. We'll see. I, I, you know, I think that there's a chance they may do something in some form in Knoxville 
Uh, but I don't know that it's going to be a true spring game for fans. I think you might end up with a fan fest type deal, autograph stuff. Uh, we'll see what happens. Chattanooga, I guess, is not completely off the table, although that seems like a long shot. Uh, so, so we'll see what happens uh, with, with that. Uh, I do think Tennessee wants to do something that would help them in recruiting. Uh, they love to have a family day, parents day type deal. So they want to have that type of function as well. The, the challenge is where do you host that? How do you pull that off? And I think that's what the, the Tennessee administration is trying to figure out now that Nashville is for sure off the table. You can't do anything inside Neyland Stadium. There's, there's a large crane in Neyland Stadium right now. Uh, half of that field, the side has been you know, cut up and taken up. They will reside that field in, in late summer once they get all the heavy equipment out of there. Uh, but uh, there's no way you can do anything inside Neyland Stadium uh, until, until August. And, and you know, they need good weather days there, and they need to stay on track with that project because they're going to push the envelope to get that thing done uh, by the time you get to fall camp. Brent, we had this topic earlier this week. Jonathan Hutton actually raised the question. You know, Arch Manning added two teams to his list, LSU and Florida, and he said, why, why not Tennessee? Well, why has Tennessee never really been considered in the process for Arch Manning? Um, I'm getting vibes that Josh Heupel didn't really recruit Arch Manning all that hard. I don't know if that's because he thought he didn't have a chance or he was after someone else the entire time, but what's your explanation for why Tennessee was never really in the mix for Arch Manning? I, I don't think that, that Arch Manning was ever really um, in the mix for Tennessee, that he was really considering or going to consider Tennessee hard. Um, I, I don't think the two sides wanted to go down that road, obviously. I, I'm not sure Arch wanted to follow in, in Peyton's footsteps at Tennessee. I think he wants to create his own path. Um, and, and I think that was kind of the vibe that Tennessee had early on. I think the vibe that, that Arch Manning had with some other school with that was that he liked other schools. He never expressed an interest in, in visiting Tennessee and Tennessee was just never in that one. And, um, you, you know, I, I don't know what the Manning side of it is, um, you know, and, and what they would say, um, but because I haven't talked to Arch because Tennessee uh, from day one was just never a factor with, with Arch Manning. And, and, you know, obviously part of that was Jeremy Pruitt and his staff was here. Um, and, and then by the time Josh Heupel got here, I think, I think Arch Manning was a pretty good ways down the road with, with schools that he liked. And we'll see if he visits Florida and, and LSU, if something comes about there. Th that's an interesting recruitment because quarterbacks come off the board so early. And Arch is talking about coming off the board late. He's talking about coming off the board this fall, uh, which puts some schools that are going to be finalists for him in some interesting spots because th they're going to hold out for Arch Manning, which means they're going to miss out on what would be their – their backup plan or their their one B, if you will, because most all these quarterbacks are going to be off the board by July one. So it sounds like a football theme at this stage is competition. I, I know that's a probably a common thing theme for a lot of teams around the country. Uh, you guys wrote about some interesting examples, though. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's something that that Josh Heupel did a year ago, which was important to develop some team bonding and. You know, they did the paintball wars and, and then they did, you know, different types of, of team outings and team functions. And uh, some of that's competitive. Some of it's not. They had a big Super Bowl party last weekend uh, to, for those guys to hang out and, and spend time watching ball together. And, you know, they've done the tug of war type competitions. They do the, the, the race relay stuff. I mean, Josh Heupel is all about competition. And, and I think you have to be that way to keep kids engaged, Paul. I think it's hard just to say, all right, guys. 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or, or four days a week, we're going to work out in the weight room, get your workout in, go out. We're going to run a little bit, get your running in, and, and then go into class. I think you have to create a, a, some kind of competitive edge there for your guys to, and have something for them to compete for in order for them to maximize the off-season work the way you want it to be maximized. I just I think it's typical of 17 to 20-year-old kids. They've got to have a little bit of a carrot out in front of them, and I think the the, the competition factor is one way to do that. Brent, I know you guys know the, the guys and, and girls with Spire Sports there in Knoxville like we do. Uh, we, we've talked to them. We know what the attempt is with the collective, and we're seeing it all over college sports now. I know Texas has three of them. A&M has multiple. Tennessee's got the one right now with, with Spire Sports. Um, when you look at NIL and, and where it's going right now, how well is Tennessee positioned in terms of that and what you're hearing about, you know, not promises necessarily being made, but the opportunity for a guy like Hendon Hooker who's coming back and didn't go in the NFL draft and signs a deal. What are you hearing on, on those fronts? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, and you know, for, for the longest time, there was this notion among the Tennessee fan base about how far behind Tennessee was. And, and I just don't think that's the case. I think Tennessee is well-organized. Um, it, it's about raising money. You've got to have money. You've got to have more money than you thought you were going to have to have six months ago because the, the stakes are higher. The, the money being spent is higher across the board. But I, I think the first thing you have to do in order to, to be able to raise that money and and do those things is you have to be organized. And I think Spire's got that, that their situation organized. I think they have a plan in place. I think they're working that plan. Um, and, and now it's about going out and, and getting more money and, and continue to, to, to grow it that way. But, but I, I think Tennessee's positioned pretty well. Um, you know, the bottom line is always going to be the dollars and, and Tennessee and, and Spire are certainly looking for more dollars. I think what's going to be interesting moving forward nationally with NIL is do we have states that get to a point where they're all on the same page in terms of legislation and what they will allow do? Some states are allowing colleges to be directly involved with the collectives. BYU, um, the, the BYU athletic department can be directly involved with their collective and in, in how they go about things. Uh, in other states like Tennessee and some other places, that's not the case. Um, and so I think, are we going to get to a national level with that? Um, and, and I don't know that the NCAA can come back and put any kind of parameters in place, uh, but with the changing legislation in the NCAA that may give conference commissioners more power, do they create some type of regulation for NIL? I think that's what everybody's wanting to see right now. But in the case of it being in the wild, wild West, the way it is, you do have to have some organization with that wild West. And, and I think Tennessee has got that with where things are with Spire right now. How big of an offseason win was it for Josh Heupel to keep his staff intact going into year number two? Well, I think it's important, um, early, particularly early on, because this team, this program has gone through so much change. Um, I, I just don't think that, that they, could, they were really in a position where they needed or, or would have been beneficial for them to have some change. I expect change will happen in this program. I think Josh Heupel has some quality assistants who are going to get elevated to a coordinator position or a head coaching position uh, sooner rather than later. And I, I think he's comfortable with that. I think he's well aware of that and, and is okay with that. But, but I think going from year one to year two, um, the more you can keep things the same after the success you had last year, I, I think the better off you are. Um, 
you know, for, for the defense, you know, year two is a big deal because year one was so chaotic trying to get organized. They were late getting, you know, kind of that side of the ball established. And then they were trying to put a plan together and figure out exactly what they were going to do schematically. And then offensively, they knew what they wanted to do, but it was about – it was so different than the year before. There was such a learning curve there. All of that should be flattened out this spring. They should be able to go faster on both sides of the ball in terms of learning and growing within the offense. So I think it was big for Josh Heupel to keep everybody here for year two. Um, again, I think those you'll see changes moving forward in coming years. I think that's inevitable. But I think as you're trying to establish yourself – when you have continuity, continuity is a good thing, and Tennessee's obviously got full continuity right now. Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com, Austin Price as well. They've been our guests. They join us on Fridays. Guys, really appreciate it. Always great to have you on. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, boys. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So the NFL is saying, in terms of Daniel Snyder, we got this. We've got our investigator working on it. Everything's going to be out there. Do we buy it? We'll discuss when we come back. It's Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Final segment of Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kaharski alongside Jonathan Hutton. We'll be back on Monday. You're welcome. Hutton will be back. All will be well. Fun show, though, All Paul. All has been well. This, is, uh, this has gone by quickly. Very nice show. This week has been extremely quick. I know I said this earlier. For which but, I'm grateful. Um, we needed a quick Last week. week was quick in its own way in L.A., but after being in L.A. for a week, being back with our guys in studio, this week has flown by. It feels like it should be Wednesday right now. It was really only uh, half a weekend that we had last week, too. So I don't know about you, but I feel... Uh, a necessity. I feel a weekend is a necessity. So right. it's President's Day weekend. My I've, kid had off today, and he has off Monday. So And he was asking me about it, thinking I was a crazy man for not having either day off. My child he got out early because of storms yesterday Same. that really didn't hit that bad. Yeah, rain. Got off for rain. And then was off half day today, not full day. Your, yours was full, full day. Full day today and full day Monday. So full day Monday on President's Day. What is the typical activity for President's Day? Uh, he went bowling with some friends, and later he's going jumping. Okay, I was just uh, I was thinking about that. His like, mother's treating I, him I can't like think royal. about like what would I be doing on President's Day when I was a kid. I'm sorry, j- he's going jumping. Yeah, there's, you know, there's the places with trampolines. I just use jumping randomly there. Okay. I just pictured him out in, in the backyard no, just jumping. No. These like, trampoline places, okay. which are outstanding. Uh, there was a kid that did. That, we my, there was a kid that did that close to me growing up. I immediately thought of the, you know, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do the same? <laughs> when he said jumping, like this was like a peer awesome. pressure thing. Like if we could have it's had a trampoline these, park. Yeah, trampoline park with dodgeball. I mean, they play dodgeball for most of the time they're in there. I would get out there for a, I wasn't in fear of tearing my Achilles oh, on yeah. one of those ACL things. ACL Achilles, absolutely. But it does look fun. We need to get after that at some point. But yeah, I'm just thinking, what, what is the common activity for President's Day? Well, the common activity is either to get one of your parents to take you to those things or to whine about having nothing to do See, and I, play video games. I have to coach both a basketball game at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning and then turn around 
go home for a quick lunch and then go to a 1 p.m. Uh, softball practice that I'll, See, I'll be leading. I w- and it's I going to be that. cold. He's got a baseball practice tomorrow, and I welcome it because it breaks up the day. Otherwise, I would be doing a lot of no- too much of nothing. One of the dads, D- David Reed will appreciate this, one of the dads on my team that helps coach, his daughter's very good at a very young age for softball, and uh, her bat broke. Our last practice probably 40 degrees outside, but sunny, so it wasn't too bad with the sun, but it's cold. Her bat broke during batting practice, and I said, oh, your, your bat broke, and he was back there working with her. He said, oh, it's fine. That, that, I, I knew that could happen. I'm not going to let her bat out here in these conditions with her actual game bat. And I'm thinking, really? I never thought of that. Like, you don't want to go into cold weather. It makes sense. You don't want to go into extreme cold weather and batting practice and hit the ball a bunch with. So she had an old bat, and the end of it popped off. Yeah, but uh, what if the end of it pops off and kills someone? And then well, I, at least I didn't waste my good well, bat. I mean, it's like a piece of plastic. I don't think it's going to kill anybody. But uh, I immediately thought, and I'm really doing my daughter a disservice that I got her new bat out here for batting practice. Hey, pick up your new bat and swing it. Well, I've already bought Simon an expensive bat for his regular uh, like travel play. And now he has to use a different, a different kind of bat in middle school. It's just a damn scam. So now I have to shop with him for a drop two or drop three for middle school, which is the regulation. But in travel thing, he can use something completely different. We go to David Reed, our bat expert, to tell us what a drop a two scam, or drop three right? even means. Uh, yes, it's basically a scam. It's a way to... Yeah. sell multiple bats to the same parents kid. like you so they can play in multiple organizations who just want their own standards. A drop three is uh, from inch uh, length Paul, to Paul, you weight. should just test it. Let him go with the bat that he's playing in travel ball in the middle school ball and just see, see what happens. Anybody busts and then if the umpire tries to do you know the Sammy Sosa thing, checking his bat, and they're trying He'll to use his friends. You back. just you just stand up and calmly, like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, where he says, my team's on the floor. You just say, my, my, bat's son's in bat, the box. my son's bat's in the box. <laughs> my son's bat's yeah. in the box. And just let him stand there and see what happens. We know You'll my, have to physically uh, remove him from uh, the field. Listen, there's, there are big team changes going on right now. If any uh, 12U players are out there in the Nashville area, call me. We need a few. Um, it's so I, I don't know. I don't know that we um, need any further issues. I'll be buying another bat. So, luckily, luckily for you, I identify as a 12-year-old boy nowadays. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, unluckily for you, most people seeing you <laughs> approach a batter's box Doesn't do matter. not identify I am, you. I am what I am. What I say I am. Is that not how this world works can, nowadays? Can you imagine uh, little league baseball? Can you imagine the missiles? oh, absolutely in little league baseball it works that way. <laughs> oh yeah, if, if you're of age, it definitely works that way. Can you imagine the missiles that Reed would be hitting back at these <laughs> middle school kids? We could use some. We could use some power. The sad part is, they, if one of them can throw a curveball, I'm completely useless still. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just throw him a, 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 any kind of curve, and his knees will buckle. I Cur- know he looks intimidating. Just get a little bend on it. Curveball, bats, bats are afraid. It. Straight yeah. ball, I like very much. Curveball, bats are afraid. That's David. David Reed and Pedro Serrano are basically the same, same batter. Um, so it's Cruton season for travel baseball. 12U, Nashville, it's, it's, Brentwood, Nolansville. It's CYA up. season uh, for the DM NFL. Me. So the NFL has announced that Mary Jo White, they've hired her to conduct her own investigation into allegations made during the House Committee Roundtable about misconduct with the Washington Commanders, specifically owner Dan Snyder. This has been presented as a possibility that they find something, report it, and vote him out, Paul. Are you buying it? 
Oh. Look, they already had a woman do a, a 10-month, a 14-month investigation. Now they're going to have a different woman do an investigation? Because new allegations came out, I guess, in yeah, this well, the House old woman knows committee? the old allegations. Now she could stack the new allegations on top of it. This is a stalling tactic. Daniel Snyder will be dead by the time they conclude this stuff. It's all BS. All they want to do is, is cover for the guy. At least if he could put together a good football team in the meantime, there'd be some reason to, to uh, I shouldn't say that. There's no reason. The guy is a, a filthy it's, weirdo, um, you know, and he should keep his hands to himself. It's, it's a basic protocol of being a human. It's also, um, I said it earlier with the, the, uh, the statement about, you know, this is unacceptable, we're not doing a good enough job after the Flores lawsuit. It's the NFL doing uh, what they do very well, and that is put something out there, show effort, do the work, but in the end, nothing may change, and it's going to be okay because we're the NFL. We need to go back and that's, look at That's what they do, and at, they get away with it. At Jerry Richardson. But I think ultimately Jerry Richardson had something that these other owners who get in trouble don't have. I feel the like ability he, to feel shame. Yeah, and also I think that he was okay selling he wanted to sell, ultimately. Well, he was leaning towards selling anyway, so it was made very easy. I think he also felt like, I did some bad stuff. I should get out of the spotlight. Yeah. Take some time. Yeah. Take a break. Ta- take some time, like everyone will, over this long weekend uh, with President's Day coming up. Uh, Paul, uh, your son will be jumping. Uh, you will be lounging, I'm guessing, this weekend? Some lounging. Yeah. Some uh, traveling to baseball practice. Some crudeing. Crudent season. I don't, know how, to, I don't know how to crude. Anybody have crudeing ideas? I'll take those too. If you don't have a 12 year old, give me some crudeing ideas. Well, thanks to everyone out there watching, listening, however you consume the show. We appreciate you throughout this week. Have a great President's Day weekend. It's a good time to practice in honor of the president's not blocking the box and locking your locks.